Welcome to the National Council of Supervisors of Mathematics, NCSM, Leadership in Mathematics podcast. NCSM is an organization supporting mathematics education leadership at the school, district, college, university, state, province, and national levels. Its membership constitutes an international force collaborating to achieve excellence in mathematics education. Be sure to visit the NCSM website at ncsmonline.org. This is among the first in a series of podcasts recorded at the NCSM 39th Annual Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, March 19th through March 21st, 2007. This episode is the opening keynote address by Dr. Samuel King, and it's titled Shared Decision-Making in a Strategic Context for Leadership in Mathematics Education. Dr. King will be introduced by the conference program chair, Valerie Ellswick. I'm pleased to introduce our first keynote speaker, Samuel T. King. Dr. King holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in Education from Mercer University, a Master's of Education degree from the State University of West Georgia, a Specialist degree in Education Administration, also from the University of West Georgia, and a Doctorate of Education degree in Educational Leadership from the University of Sarasota. Samuel King is a graduate of the Georgia School Superintendents Association, Superintendent Professional Development Program, and the Governor's School Leadership Institute. Dr. King is certified in pre-K educational leadership for mathematics in the middle grades. During his 22 years, in K-12 education, Dr. King has served in a variety of roles, including elementary, middle, and high school classroom teacher of mathematics and science, assistant principal and principal, and as an executive officer and area assistant superintendent. Previously, Dr. King was an assistant superintendent in a district of more than 50,000 students. He was also chosen as a member of the National Board Academy for the Urban Superintendency. Dr. King is currently superintendent of the Rockdale County Public Schools here in Georgia. And we are very pleased that Dr. Samuel King is here with us today to speak about shared decision-making in a strategic context for leadership and mathematics education. Please help me welcome Superintendent Samuel T. King. I'd like to first say good morning to everyone and welcome to Atlanta. I bring greetings as the proud superintendent of Rockdale County Public Schools. But before I go on, I need to tell you a quick story from yesterday. I had the opportunity to come in a little bit early. I arrived at the Omni Hotel was able to get checked in, had the opportunity to relax a bit. As I walked around and had an opportunity to listen to a few of the groups and individuals, I heard individuals saying that they were here for the mathematics conference. I stepped on the elevator, boarded the elevator with the group. One gentleman boarded the elevator and acknowledged my presence. I too acknowledged his. He looked at me again and said, 
Can you believe I'm here in Atlanta? Can you believe I'm here in Atlanta for this geeky, weird mathematics conference? So I took a deep breath, kind of looked down and looked up a moment and, and said, no, I can't imagine you being here for that. So I bet about 10 people are looking down and said, I recognize that guy from yesterday. So again, welcome, welcome. I'm happy to be here. Rockdale County Public School System, the Rockdale County Public School System, the system in which I serve as superintendent, proudly serve as superintendent, consists of approximately 16,000 students with over 60% minority and 46% economically disadvantaged. I have served as superintendent here in this area in metropolitan Atlanta for almost two years in Rockdale County and must add that we are extremely proud of the fact that last year 100% of our schools and the entire school system for the first time made adequate yearly progress, the entire school district. We're very proud of that accomplishment. We attribute a large portion of that success to the attention that our strategic planning process drew to the weaknesses of our school system while our strategic planning process also allowed us to clarify those things that we were doing very well with. I'll talk more about that a little bit later in this presentation. First, allow me to tell you a little bit about myself and give you a brief synopsis of events, a chain of events that allowed me to be able to have the honor of standing before you this morning. I was born in rural South Georgia on a clay dirt road to a mother and father that had very strong educational and moral values. They attempted to instill those educational and moral values into all four of us. That's inclusive of me and also my three brothers. It is interesting to note that my mother and father are two, are also retired teachers. While my mother taught language arts for almost 40 years, my father taught mathematics for, for the same length of time. In addition, the three King boys, my brothers, are math instructors. Three of the King boys are math instructors. The baby son decided to break the chain a little bit and went into computer programming for some reason. The oldest, John, secured a PhD in mathematics from the University of Georgia. The next, my next brother, Kenneth, a master's and specialist degree in mathematics from Mercer University. I, of course, gained and secured a master's and specialist degree and a doctorate in educational leadership and education administration. The youngest, as I mentioned earlier, attained a master's degree in programming from Southern Polytech. I have four great children and a beautiful wife. My wife majored in sociology in her undergraduate experience and chose mental health at the master's level. I'm sure if she had an opportunity to be here this morning, she would agree that uh, choosing mental health probably assisted with being able to, to put up with my family and his analytical nature, as well as my choice to become superintendent of schools. As you can see, for some insane reason, there seems to be a common mathematical thread that runs through my family. Not to mention that my son, um, the individual that currently is, is a junior at Georgia Southern University, he is one of my three sons. He recently informed me that he has decided to teach middle grades mathematics as well. That's a decision for which I'm very proud. Enough about me. I have the distinct 
honor of setting the stage for the National Council for Supervisors of Mathematics for this conference this year during a 20-minute segment, which means that you will get an extreme aerial view. I will begin by giving you a brief historical perspective of the perception of mathematics achievement in our nation. One year after Russia launched Sputnik in the 1950s, a crisis in education was proclaimed which concluded that Russia beat the United States into space because our students were less prepared. At this point, the Soviets were more serious and more advanced in mathematics and science. So we thought. As a result, we felt pressure during the Cold War with the success of Soviet Union space efforts, and the public schools were called upon for the first time when the National Defense Education Act was passed. This act required that schools stress mathematics and science instruction for the first time. Thus, in the 1960s, the United States countered when we took one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. This was truly a major success for the United States. This, of course, catapulted us through the 1970s while our public schools were required to assist with equal opportunity and poverty issues at that point. This, this focus emphasized educational outcomes because of world competitiveness, as well as because of the United States' place in the economy of the world, in addition to political and business stakeholders' involvement. And this, too, was for the first time in terms of mentioning stakeholder involvement. As a result, the National Commission on Excellence in Education was established in the early 1980s. The work of this commission produced a popular report with which many of you are familiar, A Nation at Risk. This report stated that the educational performance in our schools had become simply mediocre and that other national powers were matching and surpassing the educational attainments of the United States. Simultaneously, Japan had begun to move ahead in the area of electronics. In the 1990s, more current, Students from the 1980s were preparing to lead us into the information age. Congress created the National Council on Education Standards and Testing, which later suggested that our nation's schools needed a standards-based education system, a system backed by comprehensive student assessments. And this was in an, in an attempt to determine if these standards were indeed being met. This included a national assessment process to produce individual student results for the first time. These standards, of course, were designed to be tied in a way that would be, uh, could provide support by the national assessment of educational progress. At this point, when that assessment was developed, again, the National Assessment of Educational Progress, commonly referred to now as NAEP. The proposal for national standards reached an unprecedented level when President Bush introduced America 2000 in 1991. The significance of this initiative was that it originated through the president and the governors of all 50 of our states for the first time. This was truly and certainly a national education agenda in the 90s. Of course, this has evolved through the new millennium with the implementation of No Child Left Behind and the evolution 
continues while Chinese manufacturing and Indian software engineering are surging ahead as we speak. So what is the current state of affairs for preparing our students in the area of education and in the area of mathematics? What challenges are faced by educators as we attempt to be extremely astute with our implementation? If one considers NAEP results, current NAEP results, NAEP mathematics results at the elementary level, grade four, over a 15-year period reflect overall progress. Over a 15-year period at the, at the elementary level. That's an extreme positive. As one can see, NAEP math results at the elementary level grade four over that 15-year period is somewhat synonymous to NAEP math results at the middle grade level, grade eight, over a 15-year period as well. These results reflect, in general, overall progress. Grade four achievement levels in math, comparing free or reduced lunch recipients and students not eligible for free or reduced lunch over a nine-year period, reflect a socioeconomic gap in performance of 23 points a socioeconomic gap of 23 points at the elementary level. Grade eight achievement levels in math, comparing free or, re free or reduced lunch recipients and students not eligible for free or reduced lunch over a nine-year period, reflect a socioeconomic gap in performance of 27 points. Grade four math results for the NAEP reflect 21% of all students below basic. 21% of all students below basic. Grade eight math results for 2005 reflect 32%, 32% of all students below basic. Grade 12 math results, by the way, are hot off the press, NAEP results with limited data. However, grade 12 math results for 2005 reflect 39% of all students below basic. Grade 12, 39% of all students below basic. Grade 12 math achievement levels for 2005 comparing free or reduced lunch recipients and students not eligible for free or reduced lunch reflect a socioeconomic gap in our nation's performance of 22 points. Socioeconomic gap of 22 points. Similarly, there is a 31 point gap in performance of 12th grade students of parents, students of parents who did not graduate from, from, from high school compared to the performance of parents who graduated from college. 31 point gap. In my opinion, as I've had an opportunity to reflect upon these national results and also take a look at local assessments and local data, in my opinion, there's possi possibly a direct connection between the educational levels of parents and free or reduced lunch rates, which correlates with the student achievement gaps. From a leadership standpoint, 
the first order of business in attempting to address such challenging issue would be to create a sense of urgency with all stakeholders about the problem and the need to improve. A sense of urgency in the entire school community. The strategic planning process in our school system, for our local school system, has been instrumental with allowing us to gain buy-in from all stakeholders. Issues, of course, of such mammoth proportion cannot be successfully addressed without the involvement of all segments of the community. We have spent an entire year in my school system reviewing relevant data and involving a microcosm of our community. When you consider a microcosm of the community for us, for example, that consisted of parents, students, board members, business owners, faith-based, clergy, law enforcement, health care, teachers, administrators, etc. All of these individuals for us were involved in the, in the development of action plans to address the needs of our school system. The process resulted in a five-year plan for our school district as well as individual site-based plans for each individual school. In my school system at this point, we have had great success with drawing the attention of our stakeholders to such issues as I have just described by implementing a cutting-edge strategic planning process through the Cambridge Group outside facilitation. Also a key component in our success thus far with rallying, rallying the community to be involved. And we continue to make those attempts. This process required, as I mentioned earlier, that we involve that microcosm of our community in, the, in that review of the data to create the appropriate sense of urgency in reference to the weaknesses and the strengths of our school system because it was extremely important that we are able to sustain those things that are strong but to pinpoint those weak areas and generate buy-in from the entire community. Thus, the process allowed all stakeholders to take that ownership, ownership in our problems, as well as with those things that had been very successful. Without this shared decision-making model and admittance of our weaknesses, as you well know, nothing could have been done. Our strategic planning process required that we take a look into the future, determine the highest aspiration for our students and the highest aspiration for our entire school system and our organization. I will repeat that. Strategic planning for us, significant for us. Every district is different, of course. Strategic planning is and was significant for us because it allowed us, it forced us, it forced our community to take a look at the highest aspiration for our children and the highest aspiration for our school system and our community and simply make plans to take us there, simply strategize to take us there. Without the notion of highest aspiration for our students, none of the gaps along socioeconomic lines that were pre previously presented at the national level would be owned. None of those gaps would be owned and certainly would not be addressed. And we're in the, in the midst of attempting to address those issues as I speak. 
We had a sense of success last year with the adequate yearly progress issues, but we also realized that when we drill down into the data and into those statistics and disaggregate our results, we see glaring red flags. And if we disaggregate those results even further, what you have witnessed this morning consisted of the national achievement gap as it relates to socioeconomics. I submit to you, if you disaggregate those results even further, you will see implications for that socioeconomic piece, but also the division along race lines, not because of the racial issue, however, because of the socioeconomic issue, which later, in turn, becomes the educational level of those households. I mention that because we must be cognizant of that as we plan in our school systems to address the needs of our individual schools. As you well know, there are title schools and there are schools that do not receive title funds based on poverty rates. That simply means that equal is not always equitable. And the way that you provide funds for one individual school would not be the same format that you would utilize for providing funds for another school. That in itself, in many systems, is a paradigm shift. It was for us until we were able to rally our stakeholders together to present the statistics in, in the same format as I have attempted to do this morning for the national level. This is something that we were, had embarked upon at the local level to outline our quantitative and qualitative data for our school system. At this point, I'll quote excerpts from the Cambridge group. <clears throat> the strategic planning process contains the 12 displayed steps that you see on the screen. Steps one through 10 took our district from the authorization to develop a strategic plan by the Board of Education through board approval of that plan. These 10 steps took us about the entire school year to complete, the entire school year. Not, a, not an issue that could be forced if we were gonna do it right and see sustained implementation. The 11th step, developing capacity and action, which is simply implementation, is by far the longest step in the process. It will take years, it will last for years, and for us, our, our plan is a five-year plan. This basically five-year plan that I mentioned, as I consider that and reflect upon it, at this point, we're currently completing year one, year one implementation which is phase one of the plan. This, this step 11 is also the most important step in the entire process, implementation. The most important step in the entire process. Many times, many of you, I'm sure, have had the opportunity, the pleasure, or the pain to go through a strategic planning process, and then only to find that that huge document was there to collect dust. For us, we're committed to making certain that that does not happen and that this particular process continues to be a living and breathing part of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. In fact, the first 10 steps of this process have been carefully designed to assure success on step 11. Step 12 calls for regular reviews and formal periodic updates of the strategic plan. These periodic updates for us mean will consist of updates to the community, as well as updates for my local board of education. As a matter of fact, tonight, 
once I leave here, I'll be preparing for another community forum where I look forward to seeing those stakeholders consisting of parents, students, business owners, faith-based, et cetera, to enter into somewhat of a status check in terms of implementation for this school year. We are providing at this point quarterly updates for my local board of education. At this point, we have provided two quarterly updates for my local board. These reviews are opportunities for the board and the district to review implementation, to review the, the progress of our implementation, and make any appropriate adjustments on our plans. Research is pretty clear. Research is extremely clear, as a matter of fact. And it shows that engaging the entire community when experiencing rapid demographic shifts is paramount to the success of our children. Engaging the entire community when experiencing rapid demographic shifts is paramount to the success of our children. Involving the stakeholders through creating a microcosm of my community was and still is a powerful, valuable facet of planning and implementation for my school system. As stated in this month's version of educational leadership, changing demographics have profound implications for all levels and functions of the school system. To create welcoming and equitable learning environments for diverse students and their families, school leaders must engage the entire school community, the entire school community. As a result of similar efforts in many school districts that have utilized this approach, achievement gaps along socioeconomic lines, such as those that we witnessed earlier with NAEP math results, are significantly closing. In order to make this happen, we must first transform ourselves as educators before we can request or expect our students to change. In order to make this happen, again, we must transform ourselves as educators before we can expect or request our students to change. Ron Edmonds said it best, we can, whenever and wherever we choose, successfully teach all children whose education is of interest to us. We already know more than we need in order to do this. Whether we do this or not must finally depend on how we feel about the fact that we have not so far. I feel that that deserves repeating. We can, whenever and wherever we choose, successfully teach all children whose education is of interest to us. We already know more than we need in order to do this. Whether we do this or not, must finally depend on how we feel about the fact that we have not so far. I hope you have a great conference experience here in Atlanta. Let's work to make all children successful. Thank you for your attention. Thank you, Dr. King, for your insights and the sharing. We all know how important the strategic planning is and its implementation.